Thanks, Tom. Here's your pad. You want to keep that, don't you? I've got, I've got one. I've got one. It's good. Well, welcome, church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I just like, can we give it up for the, for the old elders, new elders, deacon uh, facilities? Can we give it up for them? Thank you. Bill said it's a well-oiled machine, and it is because so many of you work so hard at this, and uh, it's, it's going to be a fun morning because we get to talk a lot about the work that goes into Grace Chapel and the work that goes into us here. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into the worship, and, and you saw Sky up here uh, and a couple other people. Can we give it up for them for, for leading us this morning? Hours and hours and hours goes into each worship set, rehearsal. Um, I can't speak enough of our tech team, um, our AV team. Um, and uh, the tech team, there is a very, it, it's one of those roles that is difficult to, to, to do uh, because it's technical. Uh, and there's only three of people in this church that know how to run that board, and I am not one of them. And, and so, um, actually, Pam is back there right now. This is their second week in a row. And the reason I bring this up is we need you. Uh, this morning, we get to talk about what it takes to have a together church. Um, and, and in this one, I, I don't want to pass up this opportunity. We need several of you to help to step up and to be a part of that team because we are, we are low on, on people, and I can see the look on these beautiful people's face. They're getting tired, and they're getting worn out because we need them every week. Every week, they got to be here for a practice. they got to be here for, for a Sunday morning worship, and they get here early, and they leave late, and, and you guys get it. It's a, it's a challenging role. I say that. But it's rewarding, and, and, it's, and if you have a propensity towards technology and you like how sound th- things sound and all that, I would say, come talk to me, come talk to a tech team. Um, we need you in that. So um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get this thing going and to have it going as smoothly as it is. So um, I, I just uh, I, I thank the tech team and the worship team for, for all that they do. Um, you know, we've been going through this series together, and i got to tell you, togetherness is something that was written into the DNA of Grace Chapel when it first started. Long before I knew that I was going to be out here, that I was even before I knew I was going to be a senior pastor, Grace Chapel started, and in its DNA was togetherness. And we've been going through this series talking about together, and you might be going, oh my gosh, he's still talking about togetherness. Why is he talking so much about togetherness? It's because it's in our DNA, and it's because it's where we're going It's what we've been, it's what we are, and it's what we are going to be in the future. We are going to be a family, and we are a family, and our our past propels us forward into that. And it's so interesting. You know, when I was interviewing for this role, uh, I met most of you, and they they had these little pods, these little interview pods, like, go over to so-and-so's house, and there'll be 20 people there, and they're going to grill you with questions. Okay, great. Now go over to so-and-so's house and do that six more times and you get like the idea of what the weekend was like. And it was exhausting. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was exhausting. My wife and I flew home. I never, I never sleep on a plane. I slept the whole way back to Denver. It was exhausting. But one of the things that I thought when I finished these interviews was, wow, those people are friendly. They all wanted to know about me, and I'm interviewing, of course you want to know about me, but they wanted to know about my kids and about my, my parents and about my relationships and who I was and my hobbies, and, and there were so many people that would come up to me afterwards and shake my hand and say, you know, I could tell we're going to be friends. I've been praying for you. I didn't even know who you were, but I've been praying for you. And, and to be honest with you, after the first weekend, I kind of went, now, are they really like that, or is that like just kind of like a front 
they're putting on. I mean, I'm interviewing for the senior pastor role. Can anybody really be that friendly? I mean, I'll be honest. I was a little skeptical. And I talked to my wife about it. She was like, yeah, they were incredibly friendly. And we came back for the second interview round. And it was the same thing, over-the-top welcoming. And when I took the job and showed up, I was shocked still about how friendly you are. I was. We had, for, for months, we had things showing up on our doorstep, little gifts. Like we had, we had like a, a, a dozen of eggs, a dozen eggs sitting there one time and a little card. And once somebody gave me a planter with like herbs that they had already planted in it, a little card. And gift cards would show up and we'd come home and there'd be something on the front door. And this, ha- this went on for months. And it hit me and, and it was proven to me that you care about each other. And when somebody gets involved in Grace Chapel, they get involved in Grace Chapel. They get welcomed in. And all you have to do, if if you're brand new, is ask someone that's been around for a couple of weeks or more, and they will tell you story after story of people going, hey, we want to get to know you. Hey, we want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. We want to include you. And that's in the DNA of Grace Chapel. Of course, Grace Chapel hasn't done it perfectly, but it's been a big, big part of who this church is. I'm proud to say I see that happening all the time. I introduced you to Chase and his wife Johanna last week, the Trustnovex. Chase is going to be our new family director. He's back now, right now, with the kids working with them, which is awesome. So many of you showed up when he showed up with his enormous U-Haul. I didn't know they made U-Hauls that big, okay? He showed up in that thing, and there were like 12 of us standing there ready to receive him. One of you brought groceries without even being asked. Here, have a gallon of milk and a, and, and a dozen eggs because we know you don't have time to shop right now. That's amazing. When I see that kind of stuff, my heart swells with pride because you're involving a family. You're connecting with the family and you're bringing them in. And the good news is, is we have an opportunity to do it again. Because of God's goodness, the Malleys, they're actually here. I'm going to embarrass them. Nate and Jules Malley, would you guys stand up? I'm going to embarrass you. It's okay. This is our new worship director. Yeah. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. He had no idea I was going to do that. Another opportunity. They have a young family, and they're here. So wrap your arms around them. Connect with them. They might get tired of it, but ask them to lunch. Ask them to dinner. Ask what they need. This is what Grace Chapel does. And when I see it happen, I just... It almost brings me to tears because that's what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a family. This is in our DNA. So we find ourselves standing in the present with the past like pushing us whether we want to go into the future or not. The past is pushing us into the future and the future is beckoning us to take the next step, to take the next step. And as Tom Blakelock said this morning, we're in a transition right now that is so exciting. It's scary because it's, there's some unknowns, but it's exciting. And as we stand here together, I can tell you for certain, togetherness is what we're going to be about, because it's what we've been about. It's what we are about now. Our vision is lives transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our vision statement, lives transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happens when lives are transformed through the gospel? togetherness happens. Togetherness happens. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 years or 60 seconds. God starts moving in your heart and he starts regenerating your heart. And the thing that you want more than anything is other people to experience this with. 
That's why when people get saved, they start looking for groups. They start looking for life groups and Bible studies and churches, and they, they want to get plugged in. And here we are, Grace Chapel. This is what we do. We connect with people. There's this mantra that I've said thousands of times. Some of you will roll your eyes when you hear me say it again, but it is a mantra of ours to be known, valued, and loved. That's our goal. Every soul that walks through those front doors our goal is to know them, is to value them, and is to love them. To the point that they feel so connected, they can't help but show up on a Sunday morning. They can't help but get connected to a life group. They can't help but showing up and working because this is, it's, it's, it's changing them. It's transforming them on the inside. I mean, this idea that the elders kicked around, I can't remember who came up with it. Um, uh, a couple months ago, we started talking about it. We're going to put a sign in our parking lot that you can see as you drive out of the parking lot. And it says, now entering the mission field. And I love that. Actually, Tom told me, I think it was last week, he's working on it, and it's not an easy project, so give him props when that thing goes up. But that sign is to remind you that here you're known, valued, and loved. And there are people out there that desperately want to be known, valued, and loved. And that's our mission. And when lives are transformed by the gospel, it, it, it's, like, it's, like a, um, it's like an addiction. You have to connect with people that know and love Jesus. That's where we are. But I'll tell you, and I know this from experience, and I know this because of the stories that you shared with me, this doesn't just happen. To have togetherness be part of the DNA of a church does not just happen. There is a lot of sweat blood and tears that has gone into this place. A lot of people have worked thankless jobs over and over and over. They've shown up early. They've left late. When they don't feel like it, they come. That kind of sacrifice is what it takes to make a church like this be so inclusionary, to have togetherness in our DNA. And there have been people from the very beginning that have done a lot of work to make it happen. And as we stand in this transformational period, it's going to take a lot of work to continue to make that happen. And I've worked at several other churches, and I can tell you from experience how difficult it is to get a church to react to newcomers, to people that have been here forever, to react to them with this known, valued, and loved idea. It's difficult to do. And you guys have it in your DNA. It's fantastic. It takes hard work. And so as we talk this morning about where we're going, remember, it takes work. It takes a lot of work. The story we get to look at this morning is Paul writing a letter to the church uh, in Thessaloniki. And, and the, the Thessalonians were one of the first churches that Paul planted. He came through with Silas and Timothy, and he planted this church, and he stayed with them a couple of months, and then he went on to Athens. And when he was in Athens, he said, you know, did you guys notice like the deer in the headlights look that those, those Thessalonians showed us? Those, that, that church that we started, did you see that deer in the headlight look when we left? They're like, whoa, you're leaving already? We're brand new Christians and we don't really know what to do. And, and you set up this weird leadership structure and we're not really sure how it goes and what we're supposed to do. Paul said, yeah, Timothy, I think you need to go back. <laughs> so, so go back and me, me and Silas, we're going we're gonna to go on to, to Corinth. But you go back. And just work with them a little bit. See how they're doing. 
So Timothy goes back and he spends a couple more months with them. And then he comes and he meets Paul in Corinth. And this happened all around 52, 53 AD. He meets Paul in Corinth and he goes, you're not going to believe it. Those Thessalonians are on fire. They are, they're growing like crazy. There's so many people showing up to the church. Jesus is alive and well in their hearts and they're being transformed and it's powerful. Paul says, well, that's a really good report. I'm going to write them a letter. I'm going to write them a letter to give them more encouragement and more instruction. So while he's working with the church in Corinth, he sends this letter that we get to read this morning back to the Thessalonians. So this is 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 5, and he didn't write in chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter, and we've kind of dissected it so we can easily find bits and pieces of it. But imagine you are the church in Thessalonica, And you're sitting down, and this is a brand new thing. You're not really sure how it's supposed to go, but there's a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. And in walks a messenger and says, hey, I got a letter from Paul, the guy who started us. He wants to tell us a few things. Because the reason I want you to do that is because that's where we are. We're going through a transition. We are currently being transformed into the future. And Paul has some things to share with us. So if you would, open your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. This is at the end. It's like they would have said, that's eh, a couple paragraphs before the end. But it's 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And this is what Paul and Silas and Timothy say to these wide-eyed, deer-in-the-headlights, not sure what this is supposed to look like, church. This is what he says. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And, and please just live at peace with each other so it's easier for them. That was a little Josh part. We'll stop there. Okay. Paul, Silas, Timothy got their heads together late one night writing a letter to the Thessalonians and they say, you know, we need, to, we need to challenge them. We need to ask them to acknowledge a couple of groups in their gathering, in their ecclesia, they would have called it. We need to ask them to acknowledge this. And it's important for us to take a minute and think of the three groups that Paul just talked about. First of all, he says, hey, acknowledge those who work hard. Acknowledge those who work hard. That could be anybody. And if, and if you've been around Grace Chapel for any period of time, just about everybody works hard around here. Whether it's the technology it takes to get kids checked in, or it's how clean our, our parking lot is on a snowy Sunday morning, or it's when the pipes start leaking and suddenly somebody shows up and they stop leaking. There are a lot of people that work hard in this church. And it's almost impossible, I found this out, almost impossible to see them all because it's such a complicated thing. There's so many people that do so many things. So Paul says, hey guys, hey Grace Chapel, when you find somebody that's working hard, would you just acknowledge them? They're not doing it for self-glorification. They're not doing it so they can stand up and go, oh, look at what I did. I just shoveled the driveway. Isn't that great? I just shoveled the sidewalk. That's not why we do it. But when you see it, tell them thank you. Acknowledge it. That's the first group, the first concentric circle. Paul's got another one. And he says the second group, and there might be overlap, there might be a ton of overlap, 
are those that, that care for you. The people that care for you. Now, it's important that we understand that Paul didn't say those who care for you the way you want to be cared for. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, acknowledge the people that care for you perfectly. He didn't say that. He said, when you come across somebody at your ecclesia that cares for you, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. If you look around you, if, if, if you're new this morning, you should know that almost everybody in this church has prayed for you already. I have prayed for you already. If you're three months in, you have to know that as a church, we've prayed for you. If you've been coming here for 25 years, you have to know as a church, we've prayed for you. People care about each other at Grace Chapel. And I want to see that continue. And Paul says, hey, when you see that, when you see somebody care for you, would you just acknowledge that? That would be great. The third group, the most complicated group, the most difficult thing to thank people for. So, so acknowledge those who work hard, acknowledge those who care, and then you see it right there, acknowledge those who admonish you. So why would he say that? Well, admonishment is one of those things that it's, it's not quite got mad at you for the sin that you have in your life, but it's a, it's a, a warning. It literally, in the Greek, it means to put in your head. And, and what that means is when somebody hears you in the parking lot, speak to your child or your wife in a way that's not quite God-honoring, what happens is they go, ooh, I'm going to put that in my head. I, I, need to, I need to talk to Josh about that at some point. I, need to, I, need to sit, I just need to, when the opportunity presents itself, I need to say, hey, man, are, are you doing okay there? That's what these people are. And I'm here to tell you, this is one of the most difficult things to do in a church, especially a church like Grace Chapel where everybody loves each other so visibly is to put your arm around somebody and say, hey, when you pulled your phone out a couple weeks ago, I saw something on the browser that made me wonder, are you, are you protecting your eyes? That is a tough conversation to have. Paul says, when you find people that do that with you, that, that are working hard for you, that care for you, and that are willing to admonish you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the thing that is transforming you, you need to acknowledge them. You need to acknowledge them. And, and not just acknowledge them, hold them up in the highest regard and love because of the work that they're doing. And a pro tip, it's a lot easier for people that work hard, that care about you, and that admonish you when you get along. <laughs> pro tip. So, so, so just live at peace. If you can do it, live at peace. Your leaders and the people that are working hard for you will thank you a hundred times over. And if you live at peace, it will make leading you a pleasure. It will make working hard for you something they can't wait to do. It will make admonishment probably not a pleasure, but something that it's easier to do if you're, if you're trying to live at peace. It's what it's about. He doesn't stop there. As, as Paul and Timothy and Silas are huddled over the one candle in their room and they're writing this letter and they say this in verse 14, and we urge you, so we request the first instruction. Can you, can you do this? This would be a good idea. But this is an urge. We urge you. This, this is really important. The leaders you have in your church are probably going to keep leading and they're going to love you no matter if you acknowledge them or not. That's a should. 
But this is kind of a must. This is an urge. I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It's a big deal. This is like the, he highlighted this one, right? Urge you for those, urge or, or warn those that are idle. And that's actually the same word, that, to warn and to admonish, same word in the Greek. Apparently being idle is a bad thing. And, and I think that it's important that we take a minute and talk about what being idle looks like. Because you might have drugged yourself to church this morning, and it's the only thing that you've done in your relationship with Jesus for the past six months, and it's a miracle that you're here. Do not hear me say, ah, don't be idle. <laughs> church is a journey. And this is probably one of the things that I love the most about church. It's a journey that we get to go on together. And just like every journey, there's steps that we have to take. And just like every journey, there's different steps for each person. And you might say, listen, I just, I, I am so exhausted that I just need to come to church and sit and worship. And to you, I say, welcome. Drink deeply of the water of the gospel and let it soak deep in your soul. And don't worry. But when you're done drinking, God wants you to take that next step in your journey. Take that next step. What does it look like as you move closer and closer to the calling God has on your life? Take the next step. And someone that's idle refuses. Nope, I'm not taking any more steps. I'm good. I'm going to be idle and I'm going to twiddle my thumbs. And those people go hand in hand with the people that are disruptive, right? Everybody's on this journey together and we're all working together and we're moving forward. And then there's this person in the back that's like, you know what, I'm good. I think I got what I need. <laughs> I don't need to do anything more. Appreciate everybody that works hard, but I'm just going to chillax now. And to that person, Paul says, you need to warn them. You need to warn them and you need to warn the person that's disruptive. The person that kind of throws hand grenades into conversations, you know, see how this one flies. The monkey wrench thrower, right? Now, there are people, and there are people that throw monkey wrenches for a reason. Hey, 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 we need to stop and talk. I'm not sure this is a good idea, you guys. Let, let's, can we just sit and think about this, pray about this? That's not a, that's not a disruptive person. A disruptive person is someone who, who, who just kind of meddles, right? We all need to be moving together. And he urges us to encourage the disheartened. He urges us to help the weak. And he urges us to be patient. Oh, that's, that sounds sweet to me. I really want you <laughs> to encourage me when I'm disheartened and to help me when I'm weak and to be patient with me and make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. That's pretty obvious, right? The revenge thing. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is a, a section that's a lot stronger and, and he's indicating these steps on the journey. And what every person in this church and in the church in Thessalonica need to be aware of, 
Would you acknowledge the people that work hard? Would you acknowledge the people that care? And would you acknowledge the people that are, that are helping, trying to move you forward, that, that admonish you? And you have to watch out for the people that are idle, and you have to warn the people that are disruptive, but you've got to care for people. You have to care for the people around you. It's interesting, the world, I hate, I don't like talking too much about the world like it's some distant thing because the world's here too. But there are so many people that aren't connected to this church or any church that long to have people help them, that long for encouragement because they're disheartened. We've talked about the statistics about loneliness in our society right now. It's a pandemic that's sweeping our country and the world. People long to be encouraged and to be helped and they want someone or people to be patient with them as they're trying to figure this out. Paul's telling us to be a certain way in here that makes it look so much attractive out there to be a part of this, to be known, valued, and loved. And you can hear the, the people just wanting that, just yearning for that. Many people are searching for this encouragement and for this help, for this patience. And then Paul does this. He gives us, he gives us a little line that is so encompassing and so big. It makes everything he's asked us just to do infinitely easier. Here's the line, 16. Hey, Thessalonians. Hey, Grace Chapelonians. That's you guys. Grace Chapelonians. Just hashtag that if you would. That'd be great. He says, hey guys, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This little line, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, Paul, what, what did you say? This is God's will? Do you know how long and how hard I have searched for God's will in my life? I don't know if I should take job A or job B wouldn't it be nice if somebody said, hey, you know God's will for you? <laughs> it's to rejoice. It's to pray. And it's to give thanks. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Hey, I don't know like, how my marriage seems to be falling apart, and I don't know what to do, and, and my wife says this, and my counselor says that, and my kids need this, and my job, and ah, I, I, I know what God wants. Do you want to know what God wants for you, what God's will is for you? It's simple. Rejoice always, pray, continue, and give thanks in all circumstances. And when you do that, when you attempt that, when you attempt that, it makes things a lot easier. The list of things that he just asked us to do just flow out of us. To acknowledge those that work hard, when you're doing these three things, it's like easy. It's like you can't wait to show up to church to find somebody who's working hard so you can shake their hand and say thank you. You cannot wait to care for the people around you or to grab the people that you see caring and just say thank you. It oozes out of you when you rejoice and you pray and you give thanks. It's easy. You find somebody that says something, maybe they indicates they're struggling with something. You grab them and you go, man, I love you. There's an easier way. Let me help you. I'll make you a deal. I'll help you 
if you help me when you see me doing this too. We'll work it out together. Oh, it's easy when you're rejoicing and you're praying and you're giving thanks. Helping the weak, being patient, you can't wait. You can't wait to wake up in the morning and find people that need help. When? You're rejoicing and you're praying and you're giving thanks. This is the idea that I want you to walk away with this morning. When worship, prayer, and thankfulness flow out of us, people are drawn to who is in us. It's like a gravitational pull. And it has no, your personality doesn't matter, your skill set doesn't matter, your experience doesn't matter, how many times you screwed up doesn't matter. When this is coming out of you, people cannot wait to be introduced to the one who's inside of you. So if you want to know what God's will is for you, it's to worship, it's to pray, and it's to be thankful. It's that simple. And you might say, oh my gosh, hey, you know, Paul is using these words, these huge words like, like praying or rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks. How are, we, how are we to do that? How in the world, if you see my 70-hour work week, how in the world do I have time for something like that? And I think it starts with a step. I think it starts with going, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to dedicate myself to these three things as much as I can. I want to rejoice, I want to pray, and I want to give thanks. And you, and you might, I mean, I'm reading these words going, how do I fit this in? Well, I go to the gym pretty regularly. I make my lunch every morning. There's a lot of things in my life that I go, you know, I need to do that. And so I focus and I discipline myself and I take one baby step, one baby step. My lunches used to be just be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and now they're feasts. No, I'm kidding. But it grows. All of a sudden, going to the gym three times a week becomes easier and easier the longer you do it. So to stand back and say, well, since he's using these words with always, continually, and in all circumstances, that just, I just can't do that. I just can't do that well, why don't you just start for 30 minutes on Monday morning? Just start there and see what happens to you. Why don't you just do that for 15 minutes every morning before the lights go on or before the family gets up or whatever and just see what happens. And I think you'll find the Christian life becomes a lot easier. The challenges will be the same. The struggles will be the same. And unfortunately, sin will still exist in your life. But you will be doing God's will for you. And that's powerful. That's what togetherness looks like. That's what we look like moving into the future. A group of people that are disciplining themselves to just grow as much as they can in these three things. Worship, prayer, thankfulness. Worship, prayer, thankfulness. That's it. As I was preparing this message, John 17 keeps popping in my head. And, and sometimes I pay attention to the things that pop in my head, and sometimes I don't. And so I went back and I read John 17. This is Jesus' last prayer. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to go to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples, that God would protect them from the evil one, that they would, they would be courageous, that they would be bold. And he prays for the people that will believe what the disciples will say. And that's you and me. We've believed the apostles, and we've said, yes, Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again. And Jesus prays for them. And Jesus says about us, Lord, if they unite, 
the world will know, God, that you sent me and that you love the world. So yeah, you could say togetherness is our future. Because when we are together, the world notices. When worship comes out of us, when prayer comes out of us, when we, when we constantly give thanks together no matter what happens in our life, people go, I want what he's got. I don't know what she's doing, but I want it. Somebody just came to my mind just a moment ago, and I won't embarrass the person. But these things have been coming out of her life, and somebody noticed. And lo and behold, that somebody showed up to church. That's powerful. If you want to know your part, that's where it starts. So I've, I have a question for you. If you've been coming here for 25 years, or you come in here for 15 years, and, and, and this Christian life is not an intimidating thing to you, this is, this is something that you, is, you're drawn to, and, and you trust Jesus, and you're in this, and, and everything is okay. This is what the question that I have for you, the question that I have for you is this. Can people see this in your life? Can people see your worship, your prayer, and your thankfulness in your life? The answer is always going to be not perfectly. I get that. But how transparent are you about your faith? That's something to think about. Your coworkers know that you worship God, that you pray to Jesus because he's your friend and he's your savior. Your coworkers know that you give thanks whether you got fired or whether you got a raise. Do they see that in you? That's the question I have for you. And I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you just drug yourself in. Maybe you're here because you've been thinking for the last six months, maybe I should show up to church. Or maybe this is your third or fifth time, and you're just not sure. Not sure about the church thing, not sure about the God thing, not even sure about the faith thing. I just don't know. And then this question I have for you. Have you pursued worship, prayer, and thankfulness seriously in your life? And if the answer is no, I would say start. I'm not suggesting that this is a 24-hour, seven days a week thing yet. Just try. Dedicate yourself to those three things for the next week and see what God does in your heart. See what God does in your life. Because when we worship and pray and we are thankful in all circumstances, when those things flow out of us, people are drawn to who is in us. That's our path moving forward. That's what the future looks like for Grace Chapel. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But that's where we're going. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity just to look at your word. Lord, to, to take ourselves back in time to sit with the Thessalonians as they read this letter for the first time. God, I can feel Paul and Silas and Timothy's passion in these words. I can hear Paul saying, if they would just worship and pray and be thankful, oh, people would know. God, I ask that you would translate that into our hearts, that you would move in us now in 2019, Grace Chapel, Clifton Park, that we would pick up those words and we would say, yes, that is the will God has for us. That's God's will for me. I'm going to start dedicating more and more and more of me to these three things. Lord, I ask if there's people in this room that don't know what worship, 
what prayer and what thankfulness even looks like, that you would move in them and that you would show them, that you would meet them at a quiet point in their day and start to rejuvenate and transform their heart from the inside out. And God, I ask for the people that have been doing this for years, that you would sing a new song in their spirit, that you would give them something fresh, something exciting that would reinvigorate and reawaken their love for you. And lastly, Lord, I pray for this church. To be a church that is known for its togetherness is an uphill battle. It's difficult. So I ask, Lord, that even now there's people in this room that are going, yes, this is me. I'm going to dedicate myself to this. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to discipline myself to the church and to you, Lord, and to these three things. I love these people, God, and I cannot wait to see what happens when you stir in them even more than you already have your love for the world. In your name, amen.